Hi, Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. Podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're talking to George Patterson. George spent 20 years in Central America training ordinary people to multiply churches. The simple methods and strategies that George pioneered are being used all around the world. I began by asking George how his journey with missions and church planting movements began. Um, a missionary came to a church that my wife and I were attending, and um, uh, <laughs> we were both touched by his message. And uh, and my wife, had, up to that point, had said very firmly she would never go to the mission field. Okay. And uh, I was... I, to me, I, well, I wanted to be a pastor, but I was open to however the Lord led. And anyway, after the meeting, she told me, you know, maybe we should go to the mission field. And then I thought, oh, well, that's unusual. <laughs> and George, and then, what, what, what was it about the message that sort of challenged you and, and, and challenged her? You know, I don't remember the detail. Okay. I said it was a missionary from Honduras, yeah. and he mentioned that they were starting these little churches uh, out in the mountains and so forth. And and uh, his vision fascinated me. Mm. And uh, <laughs> another thing happened too that that really pushed me. Our pastor at the time, a godly man, but he was not very assertive, mm-hmm. and when he counseled people, he was not very direct. And so it was very unusual. And after that same speaker had talked, he told me, he said, George, you know, your spiritual gifts and so forth, your background might equip you to go down there and help them in Honduras. He, he, I happen to know that they have some problems. Mm-hmm. He was on the uh, that particular mission agency board. Okay. And so uh, those two things happened and... Uh, we prayed about it and, and, and went to Honduras, yeah. Okay. How how old were you at the time? Oh, it's around thirty-three, I guess, thirty-two, okay. thirty-three. And did did you have did you have any any children or Yes, you... we had two very young children. Okay. <laughs> so and what sort of work background did you have before you Well and for the Lord's work I um I had pastored a little, not not very successfully. Mm. Uh I I uh, I'm not wired to be a pastor. I'm a okay. I'm a doer, and I drive a congregation crazy. I always, you know, about ten steps ahead of everyone else, just the way God wired me. Okay, <laughs> and so you and your young family um, headed off to Honduras. What 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 year was that? Uh, 1964. Okay, so I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was it? What was it like? Uh, you know, getting your family down there and 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 settling in in Honduras. Oh, yeah, it was just a joy. First, we went to language school for a few months, and uh, uh, we we uh, we all enjoyed it. And the, uh, uh, back in those days, missionaries weren't talking about bonding mm-hmm. with the, the culture and the people and so forth. Uh, but we did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it was God's will. We really loved the culture. We loved the people. And we and uh, we we just really enjoyed being with them once we got there. Okay. And did you have any Spanish before you left? 
Uh, no, uh, my wife did, but I did not. But the Lord gifted me to be able to pick up language quickly, which I did. I picked it up in uh, just a few months and was pretty fluent. And where where did you begin when you, you started ministry in Honduras? We went to Honduras and we worked in the, uh, uh, in the boonies <laughs> and the mountains. Okay. Uh, and a lot of uh, tiny villages. And, and uh, uh, my first job description, I was to be a teacher in a Bible institute. And I had graduated from seminary just recently. And so I was all, you know, really gung-ho to <laughs> teach in a classroom. And... Uh, that's where I started. However, I, within one week, I saw that that was not going to the not the answer for planting churches in all the many many villages that needed churches in that area. It was just too slow and too few students, and they were too young to really, when they graduated, to be respected by the village leaders. So uh, that was my beginning. Okay, so what what did you do with that realization after just a week? Well, I I went to the the director. There were just two of us. I, I went to the director and he, I told him that I I just didn't see the, our students going out and planting churches. The only churches planted were started by missionaries. I said that's not working. We, it will take us thousands of years to reach this area at this rate. So I'd like to go out and plant churches. So to my uh, surprise, he said, "All right." You just teach in the Bible Institute on Tuesdays. Go out the rest of the time, do what you can. <laughs> and that really surprised me. And then about a week later, the same man, the director, came over to our house and he had a paper that he'd written up investigating how the Presbyterians in Guatemala were uh, training by extension. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I, I was waiting for you to mention something. And now that you have, you've mentioned you don't think our present program is really working that well. I want you to read this paper. Well, uh, it was just a classical uh, view of extension training, uh, spreading out your classrooms. But I liked it. So I said, well, anything I think would work better than this. So we jumped into that. So and, this uh, is um, bringing uh, Bible and and theology to to people in the field rather than getting them to come to your college. You, you teach, you find simple ways to, to teach sort of on the job. Is that right? Well, well what, how we started out, we, we uh, imitated the way the Presbyterians were teaching by extension. And all they did, they had a resident Bible Institute, or well, actually it was a seminary, and, and they just spread out the classrooms and sent the teachers out. So that's what we tried at first. However, that did not work. Because the Presbyterians had all kinds of churches, and they were just upgrading the pastoral skills. Well, we needed to plant churches at the same time. Also, they had students that were a lot more educated and uh, a lot more farther along in the faith than we had. So we, uh, so I, uh, I got some good counsel from older missionaries, and uh, uh, we we uh, made a transition and integrated our extension training, uh, that is mentoring the way Christ and the Apostle Paul did. We integrated it thoroughly with evangelism and church planting. And I also learned from my mistakes. And yes. since I made a lot of mistakes, I learned a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and you had the support of your sort of local um, supervisors. That was sounds like that was also helpful. Well, uh, 
actually, when we moved into the extension training, the, the same man who okayed it, and he was a director, he, he, he found it difficult to make the transition. Now, he wanted to. He knew it was biblical, but he just found it difficult. Yeah. And so he left the field. Okay. I went to another another field and left me there, and I thought the world had come to an end, but it, actually it was a blessing because uh, from then on it forced me to turn over initiative and responsibility to the Honduran workers, which I, uh, to a, a degree that I never uh, even thought of before, and God blessed that. Okay, so you're... And, and, this shift is going on in your thinking and your practice, but what's what's actually happening on the ground? What does a, a, a normal day look like for you as you're trying to a, apply these new ways of, of uh, evangelism, church planting, and growing leaders? Well, when uh, out working in the field, we immediately ran into a huge problem in that uh, uh, we, we were training uneducated men. Some of them we had to teach to read. A few of them had maybe one or two years of school and could read a tiny bit. And, uh, and so uh, our particular association of churches had a rule that you had to be ordained in order to baptize and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And in order to be ordained, you had to graduate from a, a Bible Institute and have a diploma. But I mean, there was no way they could do that. We had already tried it, and it hadn't worked well. And and so um, uh, what happened then, um, the the men were almost all extremely discouraged because the uh, city pastors uh, would tell them the baptism were not valid, Okay. And they could not serve the Lord's Supper, and so they all felt very second-rate, really bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day I was I was walking through the jungle to go to the home of one of these pastors. He was going with me, and we were going to meet there in his home and and uh, deal with some of the issues there. But um, he was very very depressed because of this problem. And the older pastor said, I, they just keep discouraging me. And I said, well, look, what we're going to do is just tell these pastors when they talk to them, we tell them, uh, I cannot obey you and Jesus both because Jesus commands our little church to celebrate the Lord's Supper and to baptize. It's a command and Jesus commanded it with all authority in heaven and earth. And so, why do you prefer? I obey you instead because I can't obey you both. And so, uh, actually, when I told the guy to do that, his name was Hannibal, he said, oh, that lifts a ton of weight off my back. Mm. And uh, so we defined the uh, basic commands of Jesus and uh, spread the word out, deal with this problem this way. And so we violated our denominational constitution, and uh, the Lord blessed it. There was a lot of griping and complaining, but uh, it, uh, the Lord really blessed it. And the churches that did not agree with us became extremely legalistic and actually a, a, a very little growth. From then on, whereas the churches just decided to obey Jesus above and before all else, uh, they really multiplied. So instead of um, you sort of playing the card, well, I'm the missionary, 
or you giving them the practical reasons why, I mean, there are plenty of good practical reasons why they should baptize and celebrate Lord's Supper, but you took them to the scriptures and the commands of Jesus. Yes. And help them discover that and, and see the authority that he had given them. Yes, they needed that assurance and confidence, which they liked because they're, they're uneducated and so forth. But they were godly men. In fact, uh, I felt they were far more spiritual than the city pastors, at, which at that time were criticizing them. Now, and our way of working soon spread to the city, too. And it actually, it caused a division in, in our denomination. Uh, the churches are more legalistic, would not accept what we were doing. They, they separated Okay. and started their own little denomination, which never grew. And it was highly legalistic. But uh, uh, what we did, uh, Dr. Donald McGavin was publishing a church growth bulletin way back there. Were only the old timers will remember it. But he published what we were doing, and that brought down uh, the wrath of many missionaries. I got uh, hate mail. and <laughs> Over this issue of um, ordination and who can baptize and who can celebrate Lord's Supper. Yes, and also when it came to baptism, uh, we found that uh, most of the evangelical mission, almost all of them mm. were, uh, they had introduced the practice, which is common in America, of a fairly long time of doctrinal uh, instruction first, newcomers class, probation, and so <clears throat> many churches were waiting a year or two before they would baptize a believer, and in the meantime, we found, at least in the, uh, in the rural culture we were working, and we are starting in the cities too, we found the same thing. If we did not baptize the people uh, in a reasonable time, so many fell away because they were discouraged. They felt a second rate, and they felt that we doubted their salvation, and those doubts were contagious. And so when we, we, what we did, we, we got, gathered the workers together and said, look, we're only going to require what, what Christ and the apostles mm -hmm. required for baptism. That's you know, the, uh, a verbal confession of faith and repentance. That's it. And mm -hmm. so we started baptizing them. <clears throat> Not, the point isn't that we rushed to do it real quickly, but rather, we, we did away with man-made requirements and let God's grace flow freely. The changes that we made were all in the direction of adhering more to, to, to New Testament ways, doing what Paul did especially, and we really relied on his epistles. And, and we developed curriculum, uh, which is being used all over the world today in more than 40 languages, called Train and Multiply. And we developed that first in Spanish there in Honduras and uh, uh, so uh, it was geared to these less educated pastors, but in a way uh, uh, that they could really multiply, multiply churches rapidly. And that's what we had to do because we had many small villages. So it wasn't a matter of just a very few large churches. We needed uh, many tiny ones. And what was your role as a, as were you a practitioner, a church planter? Were you a catalyst? Were you a coach or an educator? Well, what were I you? Very, was a very poor pastor and a very poor church planter. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> uh, my role was a strategist analyzing, applying the Bible to what we were doing and letting the nationals take the initiative, but I was there mentoring them behind the scenes. And that's, uh, that's been my forte down through the years. I've helped many missionaries 
and pastors to make breakthroughs and uh, uh, using the gifts that God has given me, which is uh, more that uh, of uh, analyzing uh, when when a missionary is trying to start a movement and just can't do it. Uh, I love to to analyze what they're doing and help them make a breakthrough. But you're not doing that from a large office in the city or a classroom in the college. You're out in the field with them. Uh, Yes. Now, I did teach at Western Hmm. Seminary on on all levels. I taught these things uh, for many years. And, uh, and and many of those students have gone out and started movements, church planning movements. Uh, however, that 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 is not my my greatest strength. My my greatest strength is just to uh, meet with them, listen to them, find out what they're doing or what they're not doing, and help them focus on the on uh, what the churches should be doing, and a little bit less on what they should be doing. That's a problem with most missionaries. You can't get started with a movement. They're worried too much about what they should do, and they should forget what they do and just really focus on what the nationalists should do. Then what they do takes care of itself. Just to tell them and have them follow the scriptural patterns is not enough Mm -hmm. uh, because they end up just trying to work the church planting principles mechanically. Then they're doing things the way Paul did. Therefore, God is obligated to bless their ministry. And that doesn't work, never does work. Uh, uh, So I really help them uh, past that so they're, they're really relying on the power of the Holy Spirit and on the presence of Christ and uh, just uh, you know, helping people to sense the presence of Christ, to love Him, and to really uh, rely on the Holy Spirit, realizing in our own strength we can do nothing. I, I see so many missionaries doing the right things but failing, and usually that's the case. They're taking a rather mechanical view of applying the New Testament principles. Okay, so it's it's got to be the Word and the Holy Spirit, and more than just if we line up these five things, we'll get a movement. Right. Um, people right. have got to wrestle with God and, and, and learn to, to follow his voice and obey him through his word, but also through the Holy Spirit working in them. Yeah, well, you do both. You look yeah. at the biblical uh, uh, procedures. Mm-hmm. And uh, the commands and all of that in, the, in Scripture, uh, especially the New Testament. And then you also really rely on the Holy Spirit. And, you know, our daily walk with the Lord is is so so important. And uh, uh, both have to go together, you know, as one effort. So what did you see God doing through these national workers? What was the, you know, maybe I don't know if there's a story or two of some individuals or... What you know, not just the fruit of their ministry, but how did he work through them? Well, the first thing I noticed was that uh, they were far more intelligent, far more eager to serve Christ than what the average uh, American missionary, myself included, <laughs> mm-hmm. realized at first. 
And uh, I found when you open the door for them, encourage them, give them the, an equipment to do, serve the Lord, and get out of the way and let them move ahead. Let them take initiative. Let them make their own decisions. And and I immediately found myself at odds with all the other missionaries in that area of Honduras when I started moving that way because uh, most of them uh, looked at the, these people, saw their uh, lack of education, new in the faith, and and uh, so uh, they uh, really did not bond well with them. And uh, I had to stop attending the uh, missionaries' prayer meetings they had like once a month in a, in a nearby city because they, they would sit around and gripe about all the things the Nationals did wrong. And I just wasn't wired that way. I I really, I, I just had great confidence in in the Nationals' ability, and and God blessed that. Uh, the uh, I, I never ceased to be surprised that even though they were not well educated, uh, they really understood Scripture really well, mm-hmm. and they really applied it in a very practical way, and they were not abstract in their approach to teaching like so many Americans, uh, pastors are. Immediately, we found the little village churches. They came to know Christ, and those little congregations were active. They were were on fire. They would uh, say, hey, Grandma, over on the other side of the mountain, she doesn't know Christ. She's getting old. She's going to die without him. Let's go over there, and let's start a little church in, in their town. Let's just go, and they'd get up and go. And it was so spontaneous, so... Uh, unsophisticated uh, <laughs> were so direct in their serving of Christ and that was a blessing to me I mean I learned that from them I, I can give you just one example one mm-hmm. that first dawned on me when it first hit me that God really used in my life I went out to this village to preach a sermon and I really prepared the sermon well I even looked up the words in the Greek, you know, <laughs> my word studied. And I had my three points, and I had my introduction and my application and all that. <laughs> and I got out there, and here was this tiny little group in a little mud hut, dirt floor. They were not educated, and they had a little pulpit set up for me. It was just a rickety little table, mm. and they were sitting like, students in a classroom waiting for me to give my great message. So I pulled my notes out of my pocket, and the Lord spoke to me, no, no, what you prepared will be grotesque in this situation, totally irrelevant. Mm. So I I pulled my chair away from, uh, well, I sat down is what I did, and asked them, to pull their chairs around in a circle where we all see each other's faces. I said, let's just talk about what you're going to do for Christ in the next month. And uh, and that's what we did. And and, uh, two daughter churches were born as a result of that meeting because the people decided to go win some of their friends and other villages nearby. Also, several problems were solved, at, uh, family problems they'd had and things, and, and, uh, and the host told me afterwards that he'd learned more scripture from our discussion that way than he had ever learned from any message he'd ever heard. I, I realized that uh, let uh, preaching take second place 
And the first place, give it to just really actively obeying the commands of Christ during the worship time and spend good time planning what the people are going to do during the week. Talk about it. Pray about it. Pray about friends who need Christ. Pray about problems that are arising and uh, spend maybe half the time that you'd normally spend preaching uh, on just dealing with real issues and uh, uh, things of substance and uh, actually plan what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, who you're going to do it with, where you're going to go, being very specific. And we found you could, we could only do this in fairly small congregations. And that's when I learned, uh, stop trying to just have one congregation grow forever bigger, but uh, start many small ones. Okay. And, and did this lead on to, I, I don't know if you came up with the term or someone else, but the whole idea of obedience-orientated learning? Yes, that is where it came from. We found that... Uh, uh, in our teaching and training of leaders, <clears throat> uh, that it did uh, very little good and made almost no difference at all to teach a lot of volume of doctrine, Bible, even good, correct uh, theology and, and good edifying Bible teaching. Uh, if that's all you did, almost nothing happened. And so <clears throat> we uh, uh, started emphasizing the imperatives in Scripture, the things that Christ and his apostles uh, commanded. And we taught the people to make a distinction between the biblical commands, the New Testament, and just the, the regular teaching or doctrine. And then we taught them, be very sure, whenever you teach a doctrine, you teach its corresponding duty, the command that goes along with it. And we I uh, used Paul, Paul's example for that, and uh, that was revolutionary too. Okay, and you also drew on this uh, the Great Commission where, where Jesus says, he doesn't say go and teach them, he says go and teach them to obey what I've commanded. Yes, we yes we really relied on that. Took it very seriously, and uh, and also the corresponding passage in the uh, the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, where the uh, two builders, one built on sand and the other built on a rock, and Jesus said that uh, the one who built on the rock heard his words and and uh, obeyed them, right. whereas the one who built on the sand heard his words also but did not obey. And so uh, th that was, that's building the foundation. Of course, Christ is a rock, but our part is simply obeying his commands. Mm. And as uh, Christ said in John 14, 15, we're to do it out of love. Yeah. And if we obey him for any other reason, it's just legalism and God doesn't bless it. And is that the sort of beginning? I know one thing that has gone all around the world and many people are using uh, is that foundational uh, training in discipleship for new believers that, that's called the, the Seven Commands of Christ. Yes, yes, that's, that's where, where the, how that originated. And, and uh, uh, now, I, I'm not hung up on the number seven. Some mm. people like to have eight or nine or ten, depending on the emphases of the local culture and so forth and on the needs. But the basic idea here is... To start out a brand new churches, uh, don't give them a long doctrinal foundation uh, at first. Let that come later. Let the, the foundation be what Christ said it should be in the Sermon on the Mount and also in the Great Commission. Let them start out by learning the basic commands of Christ. And those seven 
are precisely the things you find the, the very first believer, those 3,000 believers after Pentecost, they're doing these things from right from the start, right away. And that doesn't happen by accident. They were taught to obey these things and included baptism, the Lord's Supper, love, giving, of course, repentance and faith and uh, <clears throat> prayer and uh, making disciples. And, and we found that when you start a brand new church, if you do not build that foundation right from the day one, then Satan will rush in and fill the gap, the uh, the authority gap or the vacuum. With uh, He'll fill it with all kinds of spiritual sounding things, even good solid Bible teaching. He'll, he'll do that, anything, anything to keep Christ from being head of that church. What, what advice would you give to someone starting out today? Well, the advice I'd give, I picked up just, a, just about three or four months ago. We sent out a, a questionnaire to people that I knew were, were, were instrumental in, in uh, launching and sustaining church planting movements. People who were practitioners, field practitioners, that I really trusted their judgment. And you know, on the questionnaire, there was a question that said, what would you do differently in hindsight? Looking back over the years, what uh, would you do less or more of? Anyway, the answer to that question really shocked me. They would do far less abstract teaching, Mm -hmm. far less book reading, Mm -hmm. far less classroom monologues, and far less... Uh, the uh, uh, the usual analytical uh, type, rational type teaching that the evangelicals love so much. And they would do far more, far, far more uh, hands-on uh, modeling of skills, mm-hmm. pastoral skills, church planning skills, but with the people, not in a classroom. In other words, do train like Jesus did and like Paul did. Uh, that we should uh, do it the way Christ and the apostles did if we really want to see a lot of good, solid results. 